You know, for these men and women who serve today, we have no idea, you know, when they're out there and when the next war is going to be or when they're going to fight again. But they are giving in that moment. They signed up for whatever reason. But when it comes down to battle, they give up their life in that moment for God, for country, and for each other. And it's a great day, and it's a great weekend to remember, to honor those who have served before us, but to also honor those people, if we know any, who are still serving today. And with that, we're going to transition into our title today and our new theme, which is Fight the Good Fight. Turn to your neighbor and say, Fight the Good Fight. Fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. So a new theme. We just finished in Unbroken, Unbroken, and I'm excited to start this new theme, which is Fight the Good Fight. So turn to your neighbor and hold up fists and say, let's fight the good fight. Let's fight the good fight, neighbor. Come on. Get your fists up. We're going to fight the good fight this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to start in our opening verse, which is First Timothy 6, verse 11. It says this, but you, Timothy... Are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness, a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before so many witnesses. Fight the good fight, verse 12, for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before so many witnesses. And so if you looked up fight in the, in the Greek, which this was written, it means to struggle, to compete for a prize. Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy, and he says, fight the good fight. And fight means to struggle, to compete for a prize, to contend with an enemy, to labor fervently, to strive. And then he said good, and he describes good. If you look good in the Greek, it means beautiful, valuable, virtuous, well, worthy. He said fight the good fight. The second fight there is a little bit different. And that second fight word means in the Greek to lead, to bring, drive in a place of an assembly, to fight in a place of like an assembly, like a contest, like a conflict, like a contention, a fight, and even a race. And what did he say to fight a good fight for? He said for faith, this credence, a moral conviction of religious truth about God. And then he said to lay hold, and that word lay hold means a reliance upon Jesus for salvation, the truth, the gospel, and assurance of what we believe in, to seize, to catch, to lay hold of. And what was the very last thing that he said we should lay hold of? Eternal life. And what does eternal life mean in the Greek? Forever. And if you can do one thing last for your neighbor, turn to him and say, forever. Many writers in this day use military and athletic competition for images or for moral intellectual talks. And so here's Apostle Paul, and he is describing an athletic competition. As he says, fight the good fight, he's talking about an athletic, athletic competition between two people. And he's describing a spiritual sense and a physical sense of two men, a winner and a loser. And whoever has the biggest drive, whoever has the competition and the, they were prepared and they were ready for the fight. That person is going to go on to win that battle in a ring-like fighting. 
James James Braddock. And if you follow this story, and it's a great movie, Cinderella Man, except there's a lot of cussing in the movie. The uh, his trainer there used every word in the book. He was a trucker for sure, but he uh, he liked to use a lot of languages, right? So. The movie, and, and based on Cinderella Man, James J. Braddock, you know what's awesome about this man is there was a guy who had a very strong punch, and he was a great boxer as a young man. And one day, he gets in a fight, and there was a younger, more athletic, somebody who moved around the ring a little bit quicker and had actual moves in the ring, and he taught James J. Braddock a lesson. And from there on, his, his career went into a downfall, into a spiral downwards, and the depression hit. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the depression. And so even though he wasn't, he didn't feel like he was good, but he would take fights and he would lose them just so he can get money, just so he can feed his kids, until he broke his hand one day. And after he broke his hand, they, they kicked him out of boxing. Well, if you fast forward a little bit, they go through him and his family, the depression, and, and they're fighting for food, and they're fighting for milk money, and they're fighting to keep the electricity on where it's snowing, and it's cold, and it's hard. And so one day, his trainer comes back to him and says, I know you've been kicked out of boxing, but we're going to give you one fight. It's not to come back. And as he comes back, this is this fight here with Corn Griffin, he just mutilates the guy and beats him up. And they asked him at the end of that fight, why and what changed? What, what happened to you? And he said, you know what? Now I know what I'm fighting for. Paul said to Timothy, fight the good fight. And just as he says that today, and just like James J. Braddock, most of us in the world today, we just don't know what we're fighting for, but we're fighting something and we're fighting someone. Most of us in here, all of us, every single person I know on this planet, there is something or someone that it feels like we are fighting. And, and sometimes, you know, like being in a boxing ring, I don't know if you've ever feel like life is like being in the boxing ring, and sometimes we're getting punched, and we don't even know where it's coming from. It just feels like there's a hit here, and there's a hit there, and there's another punch here, and I feel like I got knocked over and I get back up. And so many people, our friends, our family, this town, this community, and even around the world, there are people who are fighting, and they're fighting hard, and they're being valiant, just like our men and, and women who are training the armed services, who are training every single day, fighting for something. Many of us in here, and many of the people we know, we're fighting. But the question is, what are we fighting? And secondly, what are we fighting for? What are we fighting for? This year our theme was it is what we make it. And see, life is a absolute fight. It is. If we are, and none of us beautiful and handsome, wonderful people in here are lazy, right? I know that none of us in here, none of us are lazy. None of us put anything off to the last minute. We all prepare way in advance for every single thing. And we're well prepared and we're well trained. And we're all of those things, right? But if we live life... Like to the other extreme, and it's eh, just a little lazy. Ah, just a little bit. I'll take care of that tomorrow. You know what? Something suddenly happens in in relationships, in in jobs, and in life when it's something that I can just put off. Ah, just one more day. Ah, one more moment. Ah, one more second. When we put things off. Seems like it always comes back to bite us. Have you ever been bit? And it hurts. Hurts when you get bit. Hurts. For Apostle Paul, he was speaking to Timothy and he said, fight the good fight. And you know what's awesome in this? He was saying fight the good fight, 
And he's, you know, he's got his fists up as he's talking to Timothy. Timothy was saved. Timothy is a young man. They prayed over him. And Timothy, he was given the gift to speak and teach and all those things. And so he was an awesome young man. But Paul, when he was saying fight the good fight, you know what he also was saying to him is you might be saved, but you're not yet pursuing all that comes with being saved. He's saying to Timothy, you're young and I can see there's awesome things ahead of your life. And you're saved and you're giving your life to God and you're, you're going to heaven when you die. All those. But, it, but what he was saying also in that language was I don't see a pursuit for all the things that come with being saved. And see, that's where a lot of believers are today. Where being saved, getting our ticket to heaven that when we pass from this life to the next is absolutely amazing. But why not pursue greater blessings here on earth that God has promised, that God is willing to give us for those who are called his sons and daughters. Now, I'm 46, soon to be another whatever, soon down the road here, but life is slipping by. But I have the privilege with my beautiful wife, Kim, to have five kids. And so our five kids, and Angelica, who's like one of our kids as well, there is privileges and benefits to being and having great parents like we, because we think we're like the best parents ever, right? We're awesome and amazing, sweet, kind, lovable, encouraging, sweet, all those wonderful things. And so for our kids, maybe there are some great benefits to having us as parents, right? They, but they get to partake in the benefits because we are their mom and dad. We have a heavenly father who serves benefits galore, just not enough people are pursuing those benefits, and it's like when you work for a job in a company and they offer benefits. And there's all kinds of things. You know, today the benefits that corporations offer, there are hundreds of resources. Because today we as people become more complicated. When I first started, you know, selling food to restaurants 23 years ago, you had health insurance and you had dental, you had pension. But today I can tell you there's like a hundred different things that they offer for employees because they need, you know, mental counseling, they need this, and they need Generation Z counseling because they just don't want to go to work every day, and so they need help, you know, being guided. And so corporations have, have invested into this next generation and offering way more benefits, free, because we work for the company. If we're saved and ask God into our heart, Jesus Christ, there's unlimited benefits galore. And as he said to Timothy, you're saved, but are you pursuing the benefits like being in a fight? And if you're in a dogfight for your life, if you have a kid, a son, or a daughter that is getting attacked by someone, would you sit there and watch or would you do something about it? And that drive as a parent that you would do for your kid, are you doing for yourself to pursue the benefits that God has for us? So when Paul says fight the good fight, it's saying I am chasing after everything good for me, for my spouse, for my kids, for my family, for my town. I'm going to chase after that. I'm going to go after everything good that is available to me. Every single benefit that God wants to give, I am going to go after it. I'm going to chase it down and I'm going to go for it like I'm in the fight of my life. Paul goes in, in Ephesians 6.10 and he says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And Paul starts this one by saying, be strong in who? Be strong in God. But, but why is it everything in life, everything in people, sometimes everything in parents, who do they teach us to be confident in ourselves? But how many of us have learned that no matter how confident we are in ourselves, do we have all the answers for life? How many of us have learned no matter how confident, how beautiful, how handsome, how smart, how intellectual we are, do we have the answer for someone who's dying of cancer? Do we have an answer for someone who's mentally, physically, in their head, they're not right? No matter how confident. We can all in here be the most confident people in the whole entire world because we are the finest of Hemet this morning sitting right here, right? We are the best of the best. We are the MVP. But no matter how confident and how good we think we are, do we have an answer for every single person struggling with suicide? Mental, depression, loneliness, anxiety. Do we, can we just rattle off every single thing every single person is dealing with? No. But if we learn to be strong in him, guess what? Then you can have that answer. And then Paul goes, be strong in God. And in whose mighty power? Again, it's not my mighty power. It's not how strong, it's not how fit I am, it's not how I eat, it's in God's mighty power. It's his mighty power, it's his power that can change me, that can change the people around me. If John focuses on John and being John, to be honest with you, I only can help so much. I only can give so much. But if I stay strong in God, and if I stay strong in his mighty power, then every single person that comes in any kind of circumference of my life will be touched by God because I'm in his mighty power. I'm in God's hands. And then he goes on to say, put on his armor. Put on his armor. We this morning have learned to put on a lot of things. In the morning we get up, we put clothes on, we brush our teeth, we put on makeup. Not, so, not all of us, okay? Some of us put on makeup, right? We put on, you know, hairspray and different things. Every single day in life we have learned to put on a lot of things. But if we've ever noticed any lack or deficiencies in our life, in our friends, in our family, maybe it's because we're not putting on the armor of God. Because Paul says, he says, listen... If you put on God's armor, you're going to be able to stand. You're going to be able to fight. A person who has armor has a protection. And this armor, it's not something that you see. There's a spiritual armor to put on yourself. And he says, with this armor, you can stand and you can fight off. Because he says, we're not only fighting flesh and blood. We're not fighting flesh and blood. What did he say? We're fighting unseen, weird people like demons. And it's hard to know if you're in a fight when you can't see the person you need to punch. It's hard to know why am I feeling this? Why is my family, friends, why are people dealing with this when we can't see what it is that is exactly causing it? Paul says we get so caught up fighting flesh and blood. 
We get so caught up in fighting people. We get so caught up because sometimes it's easy, no offense, you know, to punch one another's lights out than to fight with demons when we can't see them, right? It's easier to be judgmental to people when we see that they're, they're acting like weirdos again. It's easy to complain about life and work and corporations. It's easy to complain about politics. And it's easy to complain about the government. It's easy to complain about gas. And it's easy to complain about all the things that bother us. And we feel like we're fighting everything that we see. Where Apostle Paul says, you're not fighting what you see. Stop. You're fighting something you can't see. You're fighting something you can't see. You're fighting something that you can't see. And so today we start a new theme. It's fight the good fight. And so my title for today, theme is fight the good fight. But my title today is number one. So we're going to kick it off by saying we're going to fight for eternity. And with that, that was only my intro to get started into my main text this morning because I'm so excited to preach for three hours. If you have your Bibles, Luke 16, starting in verse 19. And you know I'm only kidding because I, you know, as much as I would like to, that would be a long time. Luke 16, starting in verse 19. Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who splendidly clothed in purple, fine linen, who loved each day, who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. And as Lazarus lay there longing from scraps, four scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried to the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham, the far distance, with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. And Abraham said to him, Son, Remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted. Lazarus had nothing. So now he's being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here. And no one can cross over to us from there. And then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place a torment. And Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich, the rich man replied, no, Father Abraham. If someone is sent to them from the dead, they will repent of their sins and turn to God. And Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even as someone rises from the dead. The rich man in the story, Jesus telling a parable, which is a Bible story with a meaning, speaks of a man. He doesn't give him a name. He just calls him the rich man. The rich man was clothed in purple. To wear purple in this day, 10,000 shellfish, 10,000 shellfish to get one gram of purple dye. 10,000 shellfish. So what kind of money did you possess? What kind of money did you have in the bank? What kind of money did you have? So that, because obviously one gram of purple dye wasn't going to take care of a whole robe and outfit and suit and tux and all those good things and dresses, right? 
So how much money did you carry possess because you wanted to wear purple? And to wear purple in this day, royalty, power, status, I am wealthy, I am rich. And the first thing I want to point out in this story, which I think is amazing, Jesus points out rich men, but he doesn't give him a name because he's really not going to be remembered. But to one he gives the name who's Lazarus. And Lazarus was a poor man who we have no idea. Life wasn't good to him. He had sores all over his bodies. He begged outside of the house of the rich man thinking and hoping this guy's got money. This guy's got power. He's got status. Maybe he could just give me some crumbs. Maybe he could just give me a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But no matter how much he begged, no matter when dogs came and licked this guy's sores, which is just gross. It says the rich man ignored him every single day. This poor man lived a life that was ignored. This man lived a life that was full of hurt, pain, misery, and hunger. Having nothing. And to this, this ignored man, you know what he did? He died. But luckily for him, where did he go? It says he went to the place of banquet. And many believe this place is a place that when we die and we pass from this life to next, it's a kind of a waiting place in between here and the end when, when God finally returns and, and puts things in order. And so Abraham and Jesus describing this place of a beautiful place, a paradise kind of place of when we pass from this life to next, of going to this place of paradise. And so Lazarus, who's given a name, because we're not really going to remember someone if we don't know their name. Lazarus, a poor man, a sick man, a hurting man, a hungry man, was remembered and talked about. And for him, he got to go to a better place. But for the other guy, it says that he went to the place of dead and hell and torment. And the sad thing about this is for the, for the guy, and his name is just rich man in the story, what did he do? Or maybe better yet, what did he what did he not do? The Bible says we're not saved by works. So it doesn't matter how many good things you do for people. It doesn't matter how much, you know, money you give, how many good things. Giving does not save you. We're saved by grace and what God and Jesus have done alone. That's it. But there's always a kicker. If you never do anything because of the grace that's been given to you, do you fully accept the grace that God has given? And so Jesus, his half-brother James, said, listen, I'm fully believing in faith that I'm going to heaven. But I know that I'm not saved by what I do. But if I do nothing, James said, then the question becomes, if I do nothing, am I really saved at all? And so this man in the story, he goes to the place of dead and hell and torment because he lived a life ignoring other people. He did nothing. He had all the money. He had all the opportunities. He had every single thing that he had. He had lots of resources. But you know what he did with those? He kept them for himself, that dirty dog. He kept all his resources for himself. And because he kept everything for himself and never did for anybody else, Jesus tells the story that this man went to the place of dead, hell, and torment.
Sometimes in life, and I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you say, the day I get rich, the day I win the lottery, the day I get a better job, the day I do this, the day I sell this, the day I do this, then I'm going to give more. Then I'm going to be nicer to people, right? We, tell, we like to tell ourselves things, and then we have to make excuses why we don't do them. You know, the day I get this, the day I sell this, the day I get a different job, make more money, then I'm going to be a giver, then I'm not going to be greedy, then I'm not going to be stingy. And then something happens where we do become more blessed. And you know what we do? Sometimes then we just hold on to that. Ah, I don't want to let go of that yet, right? And be stingy. This man in this story, his sad tragedy is that he went to the place of the dead because he lived a life of ignoring, hurting, broken people. And helping hurting, broken people, it's a sign that we understand that we're broken apart from God. And when we accept that and when we accept what God has done for us, we automatically do for others. This man goes to the place of the dead and the torment. And you know what he still does when, he, when he's there? He still wants to bark orders. We can see that his heart did not immediately change. What did he do? Hey, send that servant boy. Uh, what, what, what was his name? Uh, oh, yeah, Lazarus. Can you send him to get me a glass of water? Some people think that everyone on the planet was born to serve them. Some people think that every single living being is here to be their servant. And this rich man in this story, his heart had not changed. It goes to the place of torment and it's hot and it's horrible and it's so disgusting, all those things. But the minute he gets there... His heart did not change. He's still barking orders. Send that guy. Send that. He didn't want to do anything for Lazarus when he was alive. But notice how it changed and he's begging now from help from this man. But he's still barking orders. When he realized that, that it wasn't going to go anywhere. And he realized, oh my gosh, I'm stuck here forever. Then what did he do? Then he started to have compassion and then he started thinking about the people who are still at home. And he says to Abraham, can you send someone to tell my family, please, I don't want my brothers to go here. I wonder how different we would be. And I don't want to get weird and spooky. But what if we heard people who died and went to hell? What if we heard some of their voices? What if we heard this guy's voice crying out from the depth and, and crying out saying, you do not want to come to this place. Change your life. Change your lifestyle. Believe in God. Serve him. Give for him. Because he's sitting there as he's there and Jesus tells this story. What is he doing? He's, this man has now starting to have compassion. And he's having compassion for his family. And he's saying for his family, please, I want someone, I need someone to tell my brothers because I don't want them to come here. This is the worst place. You do not want to die and go to this place. Please, Abraham, please, this morning, please, please send someone. And so as we softly, and I say softly, start to wrap up because we're going to start to pull together our verses this morning. Remember our title and our theme, Fight the Good Fight of Faith. And so as we make that statement, the, the point is, every one of us, we're chasing and fighting something. But not all of it's good. 
Every one of us in here, there is a drive. There is a passion. There is something inside of us that gets us up, whether it's just for coffee alone, which is something good, believe me, because I love my coffee. But is it coffee alone? What are the things in life that motivates us, that keeps us going? Is it money? Is it fame? Is it you know, lost? Is it, what is it that keeps us going every single day that there's, we're driven by something? I need money. I need love. I need this. I need this. All of us this morning in us and in our friends and family and in this town, we are fighting, chasing someone or something. But are we wasting our energy? Are we wasting our time? Because maybe we're not fighting. Maybe we feel that what we're fighting for is good but we're wasting a lot of time and energy on things that are just wasted time. There's a lot of good things on this earth, right? There's a lot of great things that we can see and that we can be a part of. But does it mean that all of it's good for me? Does it mean all of it's good for my kids? Does it mean all of it's good for this town? And as he spoke to Timothy, he said, are you fighting for everything that God has for you? And the question, the biggest thing that God wants us to take and hear this morning, God has unlimited benefits and resources. But as he said it to Timothy, he says it to us. It's not just being saved. It's now chasing and fighting for every benefit that I have for you. And it's not just given. Because when sometimes when a gift is just given, it's not appreciated. When a gift sometimes is given... Not all of us can take a gift and just appreciate the heck out of it. For whatever reason, in our human nature, it's when we fight for something, when there is a cost that is associated with what we fight for, then we appreciate it. Then we really, really appreciate what we have to pay for, what we have to give for, what we have to fight for, what we have to go to bat for. The more we fight for something... The more we give for something, then we start to appreciate more. And so as Paul speaking to Timothy, fight the good fight. This is something good. Believing in God, believing in heaven, believing in heaven and earth, believing that you can taste all the benefits now. Fighting for the benefits. Fighting for what God has for you. You have to fight. Like being in a ring and like getting punched and like giving punches. You have to go after this. You have to prepare yourself. You have to fight for this. You have to Train for this. And absolutely, at the end of the day, it's a fight today for eternity. Because all of our lives are pointed in some direction. Real simple. We're either pointed up or we're pointed down. Every single life in here, every one of the people that we know and we come into contact with every single day, there is a fight for eternity. Because one day, like Lazarus, he got to go to paradise. But for the rich man, he went to hell. And so one day, that is going to be our destination as well. One or the other, the place of paradise or the place of torment. There is a fight for eternity, the fight of direction for my life. What direction am I headed in? What direction am I, have I placed my life, my heart, my mind, and my soul? Where am I headed? Because there's a fight for where my life will end up. There's a fight for where our kids will end up. There's going to be a fight for where our grandkids end up. There is an absolute fight for where people will end up when they pass from this life to the next. It's a fight for eternity. Is God giving it to us? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
But we have to choose to embrace it and then go after the fight for, are our friends and family going to go with us? When the rich man, what is, you know, the first thing he thought of is he's thirsty because it was hot in hell. But what's the second thought? I hope my brothers don't come here. Our friends and family, if we have given our life to Jesus and we believed and we said a prayer and we confess with our mouth and we believe and all those things, then what have we done to help our friends and family? Are our friends and family, do we know that they're going to go there when they die? Do we know as we fought for eternity for ourselves, are we fighting for eternity for the people who are in our life? And none of us in here, myself included, we're not perfect. We all live busy lives. So it doesn't mean that we have 24 hours every single day to just go and, and talk to every single person. But you know what it does mean? I think every day there probably are a brief moment that God gives every one of us where he's saying, now it's your moment to fight for eternity for them. Not 24 hours. Oh my gosh, I can't live my life, you know, preaching and doing this. I can't live my life at church. I can't live my life. I got bills. I got this. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. We, we overcomplicate. I don't know if you noticed that as people, everything. We love to overcomplicate everything. We just, we are so good at overcomplicating getting a piece of gum and taking off the wrapper. And, and then it's sticky and oh my gosh. And then it becomes a fight with that gum wrapper. We like to overcomplicate life. God's saying, if I just give you 10 seconds, a brief second that you've decided today you're fighting for eternity for yourself, and then I'm going to bring one person in your life, and you're going to fight for eternity for that person, that you're going to go after that with everything. Just a brief moment. It only takes one second. Will our friends and family go with us? Will our friends and family go with us? couple closing verses this morning. Matthew 24, 9 says, Then you're going to be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. Sounds like a good time. Many will turn away from me, betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one, and this is the most important of the verse, verse 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. How do we fight for eternity? You have to endure to the very end of your life. You need to fight and endure whatever is put in front of you every single day. Because at the end, it says love of cold is going to grow. Love of people is going to grow cold. So you know what? People are going to, you're going to have your haters. People hate you. I don't know if you know that. People hate us. No matter how kind and gracious and, and wonderful and sweet we are, we still have our haters, right? There's still, no matter what we do, we're going to have our haters. Why? Because it's just human nature and it's the end. Sin. People are going to be doing bad things that they shouldn't be doing. It says, Jesus said it's going to be everywhere. There's going to be false prophets. You know what false prophets do? They lie to your face. They do what the devil did. They take a portion of the Bible and they mix it with a lie so that you try to believe something false. The closer we get to God coming back, there's going to be so many lies because the devil's going to try and pull people away from going to heaven. It's a fight for eternity. But what did Jesus say, verse 13? To only those who endure. To those who endure. To those who fight the good fight. To those who chase after and go after everything. 
Paul says in Colossians, since you've been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sight on the reality of heaven where Christ sits in place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. This is a, a common problem and fight for a lot of people where the old saying, so many people are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. The problem is today is we just have too many people who are earthly minded and have no concern for heaven at all. We as believers, Paul said, set your mind on heaven. Does that mean we ignore our, our bills, that we ignore our family, that we ignore feeding the dog because we're so set going to heaven? I'm only focused on going to heaven so I don't have to do anything else in the earth. No, absolutely not, right? But I do think that there's a mindset Paul's speaking about. Set your mind where you're going. When this body goes, I'm going to go to heaven. When I die and I pass from this life to the next, I'm going to paradise. And I'm going to bring as many people with me as I can. And my last verse, 1 Corinthians 9.24. Don't you realize in a race, everyone runs. But only one person gets the prize. Run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might be disqualified. I love Apostle Paul. This guy is crazy. He's one of those crazy Christians. Because he's willing to be whipped. He's willing to be beat with, a, with rods. Guy was willing to not eat days without food. Willing to travel and even willing to be arrested. He gave his life to be in chains at the end of his life and then beheaded. Why? Just to preach the gospel. Man, this guy was so passionate, Apostle Paul. Man, he was so committed to this story and so committed to Jesus Christ. And you know what his life, it didn't start that way. He was, Apostle Paul, man, he was, dude, he, when, he would, when he would belch, he, he would burp out the law. Man, he was, he was trained as a young kid by a famous Bible teacher. This guy in, in the Old Testament, or he knew the Old Testament. This guy was famous. He was known to be one of the best teachers of the law in the Old Testament. And so Saul grew up under this man, and he was religious for the law. The first five books, he was religious, and his zeal was for the law. And you know what? It was, it was zeal to punish anybody who didn't obey the law. But then one day, Apostle Saul, he gets this revelation from, from Jesus, and he gets blind, and he's sitting there on the road. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's like, who? What are you talking about? And Jesus said, you're persecuting me. You're hurting Christians, which means you're hurting me. And Apostle Paul, three days later, he gets his eyesight back. And the minute he gets his eyesight back, his life at that moment, he never looked back. And he gave every single breath that he could to what? Fight the good fight. To fight for eternity. Because he knew the greatest thing, one of the greatest things that human nature and our human side and our heart, mind, and soul is what's going to happen to me when I die? What's going to happen to my family when I die? What's going to happen to my kids, my grandkids? What's going to happen? Well, we don't have to worry about it if we know where we're headed. This morning, do you know where you're headed? Do you know what direction you're in? Do you know what direction friends and family, do we know what direction our community is in? Because 
it is the fight of our life. We just don't know sometimes what we're fighting. So as we close this morning we, and we finally wrap up this morning, I think Apostle Paul does say something very important in those last verses that I read. And he says, don't you realize in a race everyone runs, but only one person's getting the prize. Run to win. And so a question this morning, are we living this life running to win the heavenly prize? Athletes discipline in their training to win a prize that's going to fade away. But I discipline my body for an eternal prize. I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm not punching air. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. And so this morning as we learn to fight the good fight, as we learn to fight for eternity, are we being disciplined every single day? Are we learning to train our body, our heart, and our mind, and our soul? I am headed to heaven. I've given my life to God. I've given my life for this cause. I've given my life for this truth. I've given my life for this. And I'm going to do everything I can every single day to train, to be fit, to be ready for the fight of my life like an athlete. Are you ready this morning? Are our friends and our family, are they ready this morning?